In 2008, myself and Claire, we were regularly reading the likes of Total Film magazine and Empire magazine in the UK, and the hype surrounding this newfound footage monster movie, it was palpable. I can only imagine that it stemmed from these magazines and maybe the trailer uh, before another movie that we saw uh, that sort of built up my excitement for this one to actually land. We only lived a few minutes walk from the cinema as it was, so I knew I was going to see it on the day it came out, and I did. And I remember loving it on first viewing, and Claire bought me the still book as soon as it came out on DVD. It was a no-brainer, really. I knew that it was produced by J.J. Abrams, who had created Alias and then Lost. And at the time, Lost was just about my very favourite thing ever. I would just obsess about Lost all the time. I had a really good feeling about this one before even stepping foot into the cinema. But as for the director, Matt Reeves, well, I mean, who the hell is that guy? He'd done a rom-com with Ross from Friends called The Pool Bearer. And I'd seen that, but I'd forgotten all about it. I'd long since forgotten about that. Uh, so there was a chance that this could stumble, I guess. But when you get sucked into a film's creation and lore before it even hits the screen, well, it has to be proper bad to make you dislike it. And sometimes you don't even realise you've disliked it until a month or two afterwards. <coughs> Thankfully, though, this one holds up today. It carries with it some of the late noughties characterization and language, which, of course, dates it. Sure, but it does work still effortlessly to just be one of the greatest monster movies of its whole era. This is Cloverfield. What animal sounds like that? Shaking everywhere, man. It's like tremors. Looks like you should have left town a little bit earlier. Here's your little box synopsis. Five young New Yorkers throw their friend a going away party the night that a monster the size of a skyscraper descends upon the city. Told from the point of view of their video camera, the film is a document of their attempt to survive the most surreal, horrifying event of their lives. Now, as an actor MVP here, I'm going to give this one out to Lizzie Kaplan. I can't get a performance from this 2023 film called Cobweb out of my head now i thought the movie itself it was fine but she creeps me the hell out and her portrayal as the mother in this one is absolutely terrifying so yeah i just wanted to give her a shout out in cloverfield she's just as great as everyone else really it's not an actor's film cloverfield is more about the spectacle for me but in cobweb 
she brings this film to life. I love her in it. This is a found footage film, so there is no score as such, but there is an end credit sequence by one of my all-time favourite composers. Uh, he is the one that sort of helped Lost on its journey to becoming my favourite TV show ever, Michael Giacchino. Unfortunately, I don't really like this one. It's way too action-orientated for me and feels really ridiculously big-budget Hollywood sounding until you get to about the nine-minute mark in it where we do actually get some sort of low-key choir work over this peaceful-sounding intro bit, but it leads to more action bullcrap. It's not for me, unfortunately. So where can you find this film? Well, in Germany, you can stream it on Paramount Plus and Telecom. And in the UK, it's streaming for free on Paramount Plus, Now Cinema and Sky. As for podcasts, well, I found this really interesting one on Cloverfield. It was going pretty deep into it, but with what's wrong with Cloverfield. So I don't necessarily agree with it all, but it was really interesting nonetheless. Uh, so travel back to 2016, September for this one. It's called Straight Chilling Horror Movie Review. It's, it's a snappy title, uh, but yeah, it was really good. And that's it, that's Cloverfield. Number two for my favourite films in 2008. Well, it could only be Let the Right One In. And in this, Oscar is bullied at school, but he stands up for himself after he takes Ely's advice. Now, Ely is the new neighbour. And it looks like Oscar has finally found a friend that he can relate to on a human level. Except that Ely isn't completely human. Ely is 12 years old, but she's been 12 years old for over 200 years, and she's just moved in next door. In 1982, in the UK, I would have been listening to Madness and buying football trading cards as a kid, and watching this movie, it does seem apparent that that is not so in Sweden. This film had a budget of 4 million, and it took in a worldwide box office haul of 11.2 million. So it's not bad for a Swedish horror movie, especially in those days. It's not bad at all. And that two-kid introduction at night in the playground, well, it feels iconic to me when I watch it now. It's a perfect friendship setup, uh, from the set design to the blocking. It's just this beautiful segment of film. But before I give you that trailer, let's get into this letterbox synopsis, shall we? Uh, it's set in 1982 in the suburb of Blackburg in Stockholm. 12-year-old Oscar is a lonely outsider, bullied at school by his classmates. And at home, Oscar dreams of revenge against a trio of bullies. 
he befriends his 12-year-old next-door neighbour, Ely, who only appears at night in the snow-covered playground outside their building. Radio. So I think I need to speak with a guest about this one, right? And who better to chat with than Mr. Mark Morris? He's a massive horror fan and the singer from the Blue Tones. And what a delightful fusion of what I love best, music and horror. Sorry, I meant my wife and Mr. Puggles. That's what I meant. Sure. Mark was last on the show for the mid-month music episode where we covered the mental Mother's Day from 1980. He also popped up on Patreon to chat about that video nasty called Faces of Death. Uh, And you'll find the link to all his upcoming concerts and all the stuff about his latest musical endeavours in the show notes. And well, right now, let's join him again, shall we? This is myself, this is Mark Morris. We're chatting about the Swedish blinder that is Let the Right One In. Uh, welcome back to the show, Mark. How are you doing? Yeah, not bad. It's nice to see you. Yeah, welcome back to the show. I loved having you on before. Um, I loved the insight you brought to Mother's Day of all films. Oh, thanks. Um, no, I, I, I love talking about that. I really enjoyed that. It was great, and it was really busy as well. And like, I never know like if something's gonna like be a real busy one, especially with a film like Mother's Day, where. Uh, who knows about Mother's Day? But I guess people do know you, and it was like a, a good marriage. So I loved it. I um I stumbled across another a Mother's Day the other day, a third Mother's Day. Because I know there what? was one. I know there's one from like the noughties where it's just a kind of like a a chick flick, you might call it. Uh, but there's one also from not that long ago, starring Rebecca De Mornay, and it's about some crazy brothers. Uh, but it's oh, it's know. not. It's a reimagining if it's anything. I've not dug deep enough to know if it's connected to the original Mother's Day, but it, on the surface, it seemed, hmm, I think it might. <laughs> well, <laughs> you know me, I have to watch everything now that gets mentioned. So, yeah, yeah that's, that's another annoying. Mother's Day. Oh, okay. Well, I mean, you're talking about remakes and reimaginings or whatever. Today, we're talking about Let the Right One In. So, yeah, famously got re just remade, wasn't it? A straight up remake. Um, uh, it wasn't. It was absolutely murdered. They they had they added a whole other plot about 
there was a detective on the case, wasn't there? There was no, there's no police at all in the in the in the original version. But you know, it's America, so they've got to throw a cop in there. Yeah, yeah, and, I mean, I've only seen it once, and it was a little while ago. But it it made all the wrong creative choices along the way. Is how I remember it. People do say that, like it's it's strange. Like with that remake, I think it's Let Me In. Like they even changed the yes. title. Yeah. yeah, for no reason at all. Um, but yeah, so they've changed the title. But people either say, "Oh, it's just as good," or they're a blanket. This is awful. Um, so yeah, it's really it's a strange sort of way. No one's really on the fence with that mm, remake. I don't know anyone who says it was just as good, though. I've never met anyone who's who's got an opinion about both films and and thinks that that one is just as good. <laughs> I mean, um, did you see? I mean, I know we're slightly diverting, but did you see like the remake of Old Boy? Yeah, oh my word, yes. With Josh Brolin. Yeah. yeah. And it's directed by Spike Lee, of all people. I, I mean, I was I, I was amazed. And obviously I have to check it out. And it's it's a similar sort of thing that the the relationship between the Hollywood version and the you know the foreign language original, it's just so different and spun out, and they've missed the whole point of what made the original so intriguing that in, in order to make an action film or, or a thriller or something. What Instead about that weird story? They did The Ring as well. Did you yeah, like the American yeah. one of that? Mm. I, I wasn't a fan now. I wasn't a fan. Well, then again, it's, The Ring is quite, you know, I remember when that first came over here and scared the pants off everybody. Yeah. And it was, you know, had quite an impact. So it was never going to have that impact. And part of its impact, I think, is the fact that it is foreign language and it's Japanese and it's, so it's one level removed from you anyway, and it's already strange. It's already alien or unfamiliar, rather. And, uh, and you know, to Hollywoodize that, there's a word, uh, it's always going to lose something, especially on sec- if, it's, if, you've, if you have seen the original. I mean, I can't speak for people who haven't seen the original and loved the remake, but it's got that, you know, foreign language films have that. You're already at a certain distance from them, aren't you? Yeah, and yeah. That's why you're ingesting I mean, them differently. You're reading them as much as you are watching them. Totally. Like the ring, although it had things that I recognized in it, and the same with let the right one in, actually. Mm-hmm. It's got bits and pieces and elements that you recognize. Um, for instance, in this one, there's a swimming pool that you go to if you're at school, you know, that that sort of thing. Oh, yeah, that happened. I, mm-hmm. I know what, what's going on there. But then the way that the teachers will act with their kids is slightly different. Everything's slightly off kilter and not as you recognize it. And I, you're right. It's one of those things that just creeps in already. It's under your skin. As soon as you Americanize these things, you're, you're totally right. It's just like, okay, we're going to bland this up just so we, it's easily to digest. Yeah. 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 And so try and sell it to a wider market. I think that's why they called it. Let me in. Cause it's that thing of, three stamps let me in you know they like that in american marketing don't they yeah well yeah. the three word slogan <laughs> oh fair it's fair uh i'm just trying to think of that board but i won't um right, so, okay <laughs> let's talk about vampire films in general like by the time this came out i i wasn't into vampire films at all although i had this sort of uh a history with them that's grown recently where I've gone back and back and back and I've fallen in love with this stuff. Um, what's your opinion of vampire films in general? Is there any that you reach for? Well, yeah, I've always liked vampire films since I was very young. I've always found them intriguing. I mean, 
from the hammer horror image of vampires, which were sort of spoon fed or in the 70s and 80s, or I was, I know it was earlier than that. So then to up till, I mean, for me, it's a, it's a, the vampire genre is a very rich genre. It, every few years they say, oh, this movie reinvents vampire films for another generation. And yeah. I think the story itself does that every time. Unless you're telling the same old story of, if, unless you're telling Bram Stoker's Dracula, it's up for reinvention and it's up for being moved to different settings. And I, my favourites of the, of the modern era, I suppose, uh, would be Near Dark, the Catherine Bigelow film. Yes. Which I like a lot. Um, there's also, um, there's a Blade Two. Wow, is, is, a, is a vampire film, you know, in essence. Yeah, yeah, damn right it is. And and it's and it's excellent. It's one of my favourite films of like uh, of that fantasy genre in the in the last couple of decades. Well, I'll tell you, I found one like 2013, so mm. like five or so years after this one, and it's called Only Lovers Left Alive. And oh, it's really that's the Jim Jarmusch one, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, really slow burn, but Tilda Swinton uh, is in it, and it just it just made me think and think and think for days and days after watching it, and it's rare that a film can sort of get its claws in me like that. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, that's the most recent one that I really loved. But like you... Like when I like to go back, I do watch the the Draculas. I love Hammer films, so yeah, that that is a recent mm-hmm. thing since this podcast that I've got into. But I would say my all time favorite mm-hmm. could either be this, what we're talking about today, mm-hmm. or Bram Stoker's Dracula from ninety. Oh yes, right, of course, the, the Francis Ford Coppola. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, I I I see. I've got a strange relationship with that film because I was really looking forward to it when it came out uh, at the cinemas and was left a little disappointed at that. Uh, and uh, and I, even so, I bought it on video and watched it again and was and didn't like it again. However, like, since then, we're going back, when, when was it released? 92 or something? 92, yeah, yeah, 92. So in the last sort of 15 years or so, I've caught it a couple of times and I see it absolutely completely differently. I think it's brilliant now. I I used to find it absurd and now I kind of embrace its deliberate campness. I used to thought it was a bit ch- cheesy and a bit goofy and I don't think that anymore. I think it just, you know, I think I've become a better viewer. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right, fair. Unbelievably. My exact relationship is that one. Um, uh-huh. I went to the cinema with friends to see it and was ridiculously excited, left disappointed, Ooh. bought it when it came out. Uh, again, yeah, it was all right, you know, but like I'm never going to come back to it. So it just stayed in there. But I think it's with the recent documentaries on it and things like that. And when it gets sort of reappraised and they mention little bits uh, of it, of like the creation of it and how they did this and how they did that what they were reaching for and then when i watched it again for this program it blew me away i I was like wow how did i not pick up on everything that's in Mm -hmm. front of me now all i think i was focused on was keanu you know and it it sort of maybe took me out of my actually being able to enjoy the film maybe those things are are a distraction i think on on a first view once you get over those little things like keanu's performances you know he's got a lot of criticism for it but over the years, it's become, you know, integral to the feel and the flavour of that 
of that. It's a strange film. It's, it's it has a strange atmosphere, and over the years, I've I guess like you, I've embraced that rather than sort of dismissed it. Yeah, yeah, too right. Which brings us to my other favourite, which is this one, Let the Right One In. Oh, and yeah. it's really strange because Swedish films for me, I think of this and then I don't think of anything except the 1920s ones. Like we've got Hacks and we've got The Phantom Carriage. And like I really enjoyed watching them when I was going way back, way back. Mm-hmm. But between like that and this, there's only Bergman that I can think of. And yeah, that's I guess it. so. I guess so. Yeah, it's it's a strange one, but I'm so glad that like you chose this one because it means a lot to me at the time when this came out that I could say to people that definitely hadn't heard of this, you've got to check this one out. I love mm-hmm. having that film that I would call my own. Uh, mm-hmm. and at the time when it was released, it really did feel like it. Like, you know, when you've got a favourite band that maybe no one knows about and you're like, oh, this is my <laughs> yeah. band. Uh, it's that sort of thing. What's your history with Let the Right One In? Uh, I, I I watched it on I think that DVD for the first time. I didn't see it at the cinema, and again, it's one of those films. Every time I've seen it, every time I've watched it, it reveals a new layer to me. And I and, and I I was reading about it recently because obviously I'd watched the film and then you sort of go on a little train of thought. And another layer was revealed to me, which I've yet to explore because I've discovered it since I last watched it, which was. You know, when I first watched it, I thought it was about childhood, about innocence, about puberty, about the loss of innocence. And then I watched it again and I, I thought, oh, no, it's not about that. It's about manipulation. It's about uh, deceit. It's about um, emotional abuse, as well as all the horrific stuff that goes on it. And then, of course, this new layer that's been revealed to me, which is in the book, but not in the film, I discovered, was it's, it's, it is touched upon in the film. Or right. In that the character of Ellie is a castrated boy, is uh, asexual. Right. And I didn't... See, I'd missed that up until recently. <laughs> and so now I need to go back and watch it again. Um, so... You know, I was more focusing on other things, you know, the nature of her relationship with Oscar and also with Oscar's predecessor, the old guy that's, you know, does her killing for her. So I love this film. And there are so many moments in it, so many set pieces which just freeze in your brain. I mean, there's one in the first five minutes with the guy hanging upside down from a tree. It's just so macabre. And there's just cars driving by and people out walking their dogs. Yeah. And then there's that scene... Also, when they find the body in the lake and, the, and there's the, uh, the crane is lifting the body out of the ice and it's still in that square of ice that they've cut out and his limbs are hanging out. And that sort of, you know, the matter of fact nature of it, that, this, that cold dryness of it all. And then, of course, the hospital scene where she bursts into flames. That's really memorable and amazingly done. Yeah. And then there was the piece de resistance at the end, the, that ending, yeah. that climax, which is just... Mine, it blows your mind. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. It's terrible. It's all shot in camera as well. I don't think there are any, there's no cheating. There is a, there's a cheating otherwise else in the film. But in that scene, and it's just, what am I watching? And it's just a big yes. blue screen. And then you're still kind of stunned. Oh, life. At the end, when they get on the train, you're still kind of recovering from that previous set piece because you've never seen anything like it before. Yeah. And when you show it to people, it blows their minds. 
Well, lucky blows, lucky blue owls. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're totally right. Everything you mentioned, you're totally right. You've got me so excited because <laughs> it is about all them things that you mentioned and you can pick any one of them and you can concentrate on that and you're watching a different film from the next mm. time you watch it mm. when you're concentrating on something else. Yes, like, yeah. The, and, the, 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 and they're all true and they all work and they're all right. It's, it's great, isn't it? I, I, you know, rare. it was adapted for the West End. There was a stage version of it. No. Yeah, and they did the whole... I didn't see it. I'd have loved to have seen it, but it ran in the West End for a little while with the, with the pool and everything. Can you imagine that? I can't imagine it. Not at all. No. How? No. I've got now. I've got to look this up as soon as we go. Like, what yeah. the hell is that? Yeah, I missed yeah. it, unfortunately. Yeah, you you've mentioned several pieces there, and like I I don't want to give the impression if you haven't seen it that this is a a, a film of several set piece pieces, and you know that's what you come for because uh, underlying it. As you said at the beginning, you've got that initial thing, that first watch. I was thinking that this is a, a, a tale of love and loss you mm. know, and of a relationship that's blossoming, which, which until you watch it with adult eyes, maybe that's all you're going to get from it. And it's got a nice twist of revenge uh, at the end. When all those mm. other layers are, are put on top of it, it's, as you're saying, it's just a really rare treat of a movie which will cover everything that you want from it right now and you you oddly look forward to watching it again because you don't know what you're going to pick up from it next mm -hmm. time uh, it it reveals itself ever so vibrantly like for instance with a a scene where if you are looking at your phone you're going to miss it but just mm -hmm. the walk up a up a hospital side of the wall mm -hmm. like it's such a freaky weird odd Mm -hmm. out of body scene and you've also got a scene where it's just two kids being friends you know it's, it's mm -hmm. and even in that i mean in a lot of the relationships in the film of the central characters a lot of their story is told without dialogue without words like it, with just images and i you know I, which is i think one of the secrets to its success of it being able to grab its audience all over the world because you don't, you barely need to read the subtitles half the time. You figure out the story, it unfolds itself to you in images. Their story, um, I mean, when I say uh, their story, I mean the, the story of uh, Ellie and the older guy, I can't remember his name, the one that's her original um, familiar. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, and, uh, sorry, I didn't write it down. Let's say Gus. It sounds right. Yeah, let's Gus. <laughs> it's Gus, didn't it? You know, and, and, and the breakdown of the relationship, when you can see that she's moved on from him, she realises he's getting old, he's starting to slip up a little bit, and she's spending more time communicating with Oscar next door, and you can see that he's really hurt by that, and he senses that his time might be coming to an end. But, I mean, wrapped up in that as well, that dynamic is the fact that, you know, she's an adult or a, a couple of hundred years old spirit in the body of a child, and he is essentially a child in the body of a man because, you know, he's been kept uh, infanticized since, is that the right word? But you know what I mean? As yeah. for, for the whole time that she's been with him and you suspect that they became friends in the same way that she's become friends with Oscar. And there's that scene when he's in the cafe when we meet the other characters, the other victims from the estate, when he's drinking milk, you know, a, a, yeah. a kid's drink, a baby's drink. He, you know, he doesn't speak to adults. He doesn't mix. 
So again, it's that manipulation. She's already manipulated this guy, now she's done with him. She loves him, she cares for him, but she's all about survival. And here's who's going to take his place. So she inveigles him in murder. And where's he got to go? He's going to go on the run and have an adventure. Yeah, and the first time to... you see it, you think it's really sweet and romantic. <laughs> yes. I, mean, I, I would like to see their their little spin-off movie, like a, a prequel of some of their adventures, maybe. That would be cool. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, it's weird because with vampire lore, you have a familiar. And what that familiar wants at the end of their their sort of time at the end of their duties they get the the bite and then they can become that yeah. vampire and yeah. that doesn't seem to be his end goal here and you know she can do it because she's turned the other woman by mistake by not completing yeah like Ina. so you know that's a possibility and um, but you what know do you think but, that is but she didn't do it to another familiar she didn't make him one of the club right it's weird when he was in his prime you know she let yeah, him dwindle away I love this film because oh. I'm I'm thinking of all these things after it finishes. I'm thinking, right, what what's the future for Oscar here? Mm-hmm. Like, what what is his future? Is it going to be exactly the same? Is she going to learn from any mistakes she's made, or then, then again, what he's made? Because now we've got that we've uncovered what actually is going on in the book. It's bizarre. It's bonkers. Let's talk about the ending before we get into any maybe things that don't work. Um, yeah. let's talk about this ending so this is what made me think after the first watch that this is a classic to have that point of view of the bullying going on and him under the water and mm-hmm. all we see is chaos going around we can hear mm-hmm. it um, muffled but we can hear it and then we see those legs go through the pot, the, the, the ponds, <laughs> the swimming pool I, I know it's a weird thing to ask, but taking you back, if I can, what's your thoughts initially about that? And now on rewatches, does it have the same effect? Oh, I think it does. Yeah, I think it does. I mean, even though you know it's coming, it still looks visually so striking, doesn't it? Yeah. And I think the first time I saw it, it jars you because there's that process of you're seeing something impossible and fantastical. And for that first instant, when you see the train shoes coming out of the water, it's, it's that process of what's happening. Oh, you know, there is what's happening, which quickly changes into, oh, I know what's happening. Yeah. And, you know, and then, oh my God, the head drops down to the bottom of the pool and then the severed arm, jaw style floats to the bottom. And then you're left with that like wide shot of the, the kid just sat there, that, that the one that they have, they've left that live, just sat there sobbing. Yeah. Well, 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 yeah. <laughs> Next week on Grange Hill. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, before uh, another thing, before we go in, I just want to know do you think now when you watch it, because my last watch, I just thought, is this a film just about grooming? You know, is this something that at the end of this film, what you're left with? is someone that is grooming someone else. It's very clear that that's happening. Ooh. But do you think it's an intentional thing uh, on her part? Uh, is, is Ellie doing that on purpose or is it just second nature for her? She's 200 years old, so she's got experience in this. She knows yeah. what she's doing. Sure. She's not going to change. She's not. Gonna, she's got her modus operandi. This works, you know. Yeah. So it's all foreshadowed, isn't it? We've seen that. We see that from the very beginning but we don't know what we're watching obviously first time through yep. the, the relationship between her and her familiar 
Um, it's all there that this is uh, an imbalanced relationship. At first, you think it's a, a grandfather and a granddaughter, and then you realise, oh no, it's not. It's it's yep. something else. And then you go, oh, then you you know it feeds it to you piece by piece that that this is the situation. This is she's an ancient spirit. He's an aging man who's losing his touch, and at first, on first viewing, you just think, "Oh, it's just, oh, it's the circle of life. This is how it, this is." And he's had yeah. a lovely life with her. He's had a life with her where they've cherished some sweet, sweet times together. But he's sadly had to grow old, and their dynamic has changed. And now he's more of a fatherly figure than a best friend type deal. And no. No, 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 it's not that at all, is it? It's not. No, it isn't. It's it's both things simultaneously. It, it, you can read it, I think, and see this sweet story, but it's not. It's a horror film, and I do think, like you, that it's about grooming, it's about emotional manipulation, and moving people into place so that you can use them to best serve you. Yeah, yeah. I, I honestly, the last watch... We all I know people thought, like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I just thought it was someone playing the long game, you know, uh, yeah. and... and I'm not saying that their relationship, there isn't a, a, a true bond there. And and like, you can see that uh, throughout the film, you know, just like with the Rubik's cube scene, it sets it up. Like there is, it isn't all zero, but there, there is something, but at the same time, that swimming pool ending could be just because I don't want to lose my familiar. Like, you know, it's not, I'm protecting a friend. No, it's not also, and it's also, it's like binding them because yeah he's guilt he's got to protect her so he's got to go on the run with her now and you know it's it's manipulation she's going to put him in a situation where his confused 12 year old mind doesn't know what to do and thinks the only solution is to go on the run with his flying girlfriend <laughs> hey i i love talking about this eddie because like i I feel like when I finish it, I'm running all these conversations through my head. This is great just to get it out. So I was really trying on that last watch just to think, is there anything I can pull apart from it? And I couldn't find anything. I could see someone else saying maybe it's a bit long-winded at, at just under two hours. But for yeah. me, it earns every scene. You know, it, yeah. it, it all needs to be there. Can you pick anything apart from it? I don't know what you could from it at all i think it sort of minimalizes the relationships that aren't necessary to the plot and everything else is done quite subtly can you hear my cat meowing i love it yeah sorry. i love it he's just coming no no don't be sorry that's brilliant he wants feeding Mark, where are you um but no honestly i don't think there's any fat on this film i think mate come here come could you here. say mork yeah that's awesome. mork I've got Mork and Mindy here. Brilliant. Yeah. No, I would be. I would be having to. I really reach to find something that I could say was doesn't work about this film. The relationships with everyone in it, as they are, we don't need to know too much about his parents. They are. They've got that sort of Spielbergy worldview where the parents really are out of focus. You know, it's not about them. They're not the story. The only adults that are in the story are fodder. Really, those guys in the cafe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. so, and the nice teacher you you sort of sympathize with that sports teacher don't you he seems nice he has a bad day on the ice yeah that's a bad day of it yeah bad day at work that day <laughs> yeah. 
Um, yeah, I I think the only thing that might put people off is the subtitles, which, you know, if that's going to put you off, then none of these sort of films are going to be for you. But there's nothing. There's no fat on the bones of this film. I just think it's so slick and it works just how I want a film to work as I become an adult. You know, this mm-hmm. is everything I want from a film. Yeah. It doesn't um, feed it to you on a plate. It's, it, it, it lets you make your own mind up and it lets you be confused, but in confused in a way that you're still intrigued. So you might so you might have questions, but you'll certainly go back and watch it again and answer those questions because they'll they'll be in the film. I love it. Um any final thoughts before we go? Um no, it's interesting to know that. Sort of not many of the cast have gone on to anything else. The kids, particularly, yeah. I, I mean, I was looking into their careers and they've not done too much since. So this film's a few years old now, isn't it? What is it, 20 years, 15 years old? Yeah, yeah, 15. So, yeah, you're right. It's something that you would think would, well, actually, I don't know. With kid actors, you know, sometimes it, you don't know what's happened to them afterwards. You don't know what their school life has been like yeah. afterwards. You don't know if it's something that they've actually wanted to go into. I, I love whenever I see Henry Thomas on the screen after E.T. I just love seeing him and I can finally now only just get over the fact that he's not Elliot. Yeah. So it's taken like how many years? Oh, I had the same thing. I used to have that with Ricky Schroeder, you know, from Champ. Yep. I, see. I, would, I would just see the kid from Champ and everything that he did and he kind of beefed up and butched up and was looking like a man. And it's like, I still see the kid crying. Mm-hmm. So maybe, up, maybe there's something in that, maybe. Up, yeah, it's tough, isn't it? Not many of them, <laughs> not many of them make it through to the other side. But I was very pleased to see this on the list when you said to me that films of um, this year, I loved it. I loved watching it again and just delving back into that world for a little while and doing some sort of, you know, you do some extra reading, don't you? You read some interviews with the writers and directors and that sort of thing. Mark, thanks so much for coming back on, man. My pleasure. I had a lovely time again. Thank you. Now, this is the first time that I've come across the music of Johan Sodervist, but his score for Let the Right One In is pretty cool indeed. And I mean cool in both ways, of course I do. The setting has clearly inspired those icy strings which are often employed to up the tension, but it's never at the cost of allowing like a full string arrangement and a creepy yet sweet melody like on the track Eli's Theme. It blossoms. I listened to the whole thing on Spotify with a walker with Mr. Puggles and it did feel dark and a little simple in places uh, and it's got a reliance on drones where I think some more melody should have been injected but I've got to admit it does work separated from the film and that's a rare treat when doing these walks. But before I go I want to relay a little bit of the IMDB trivia. 
The two bits that I didn't know were this. Number one, it was voted Movie of the Year by Empire Magazine. And that was the first time a foreign language film had actually topped their list since City of God in 2002 for their 2003 chart. And then the second thing was a technical thing. Several tricks were used to create the right sound effects for some of the gorier scenes. Biting into sausages was utilised to replicate biting into the skin and flesh. And drinking yoghurt was used to sound like drinking blood. And I mean, that's got it, right? That's finally got you. Where can you find it? Well, let me tell you. In the USA, you can only obtain this streaming for free with Canopy and Fubo. And in the UK, you've got to rent it. There's no free streams right now. As for podcasting, well, in June 2022, 100 Horrors Podcast, they put out their episode covering Let the Right One In. And then in March of 2021, just a year before the final Girls Podcast, they paired it with Thirst. Both of the shows are over an hour long and both were rather enjoyable to listen to. And that is Let the Right One In. And big thanks once again to Mr. Mark Morris. Eden Lake, Broken Britain, Hoodie Horror. So much discourse about this one, and I'm going to get into that in just a bit, but two things before we do. Firstly, this is an exploitation horror film, and it truly works in that way. And secondly, I've also been in situations with these very stereotypes, with these hoodies, if you will. Around this time, or actually maybe even a couple of years before it, couple of young teens in the hoodies, they tried to mug me. I pushed the one in my face away and then they called me a couple of C-bombs and then they left it. I was pretty lucky, I guess, at that point. They were just trying their luck. But a year before that, I was beat up in the street uh, by one lad who I imagine was egged on by several of his friends that were with him uh, to confront me. So he did, probably because I was dressed different and because I stood my ground and I looked at them sort of like the dicks that they were. I mean, they did give me a skinful of abuse in the street. Thing was, it was reasonably busy. They just did not give a flying fickle. Anyway, one of them fronted me, headbutted me, punched me in the face, and then they just all walked off laughing. Left me there wondering just what the hell had happened and why. Nothing escalated in the way like it does in this film, but you can't tell me that this type of thing doesn't happen and these sort of people don't exist because I know they do. And yeah, because of these two experiences, it did change the way that I walked home. It changed the way I act with others. And also with most people, I try and avoid them if I can. 
with those that attacked me, I don't know their situations at home. I know that I can go home at the end of the night myself into the safety of like my awesome wife, my awesome dog and my awesome bed. But why, when my upbringing was one of being verbally and physically abused almost on a daily basis by my dad, did I not turn out like that? I don't pretend to know. Was it because I was into punk rock and that anti-macho, anti-fascist idealism thanks to the music I was listening to? Or was it that I had horror movies to escape into so I didn't head down that path? I can't be sure. I remember being reasonably affluent when we lived in Australia, uh, but that was when I was really young. When my parents immigrated back to the UK, my dad's alcoholism, it made damn sure that we were living on the poverty line. Always, sometimes below that poverty line. I was definitely financially less well off than the family in this film. And this movie, it exploits those feelings that I have about that time. It amps up the tension, the pressure, the stakes, and it runs with it. And it's brilliant for doing so too. But is this film simply about the class divide? Is it political? The director, James Watkins, says it is not. I just know that when I watch this film, it freaks me out from the beginning to the very end. This is Eden Lake. So Kat's boyfriend is taking her to Paris for the weekend, and my boyfriend's taking me to a disused quarry. At your first opportunity, turn around. <laughs> it's beautiful. I'm not gonna be bullied away by a bunch of twelve-year-olds. Hey guys, you turn your sounds down, please. On air, you mate. <laughs> Steve, where's the beach bag? It's got the car keys in it. I just want my car back. Car keys, phone, wallet. You've had your fun. First phone he sees, 999. Now we've got to finish this. Run! Listen to me. Go get help. Go! I've got to get us out of here. You hold on. So your letterbox synopsis reads as thus. Eden Lake is a relentlessly tense and immaculately paced horror thriller about modern youth gone wild. When a young couple goes to a remote wooded lake for a romantic getaway, their quiet weekend is shattered by an aggressive group of local kids. Rowdiness quickly turns to rage as the teens terrorise the couple in unimaginable ways and a weekend outing becomes a bloody battle for survival. So, the discourse that this film has spawned over the years is really interesting. And I'm going to read a couple of things out here. So, in 2022... Adam Donald wrote for Collider that while the plot may not break any new ground, Eden Lake soars high above an average slasher for its social commentary. Though Watkins has frequently denied that he intended the movie to reflect the state of social decay in Britain at the time, the movie's observations of class divide and broken Britain are irrefutably apparent. 
These hysterical attitudes, which stem from the term, were very much influenced by the media. Eden Lake is seen as the first hoodie horror, and it is perhaps the most thorough exploration of broken Britain. Once that gut-punching ending comes, it opens up a lot more room for discussion on this topic. The film had, and continues to have, such an effect on its audience because of how real it feels. There are no supernatural beings, no fantastical elements. It is simply a cautionary tale executed in the most unapologetic of ways. And this is interesting. The final paragraph says this. Eden Lake's ending was met with criticism forwarding the notion that working class people are all mentally unstable. The media's tendency to exaggerate appears to have fueled the premise of Eden Lake and it has been criticised for demonising the working class. However, the consistent realism is what makes it truly disturbing and there is much to digest in retrospect. Eden Lake is a brutal battle between the classes in which there are no winners and it's a traumatic reflection of broken Britain. So, I get that there are mentally unstable people in all cultures and all classes. The film doesn't show us that though, uh, which is why it is an exploitation film for sure. But why should it? There are no rules. If a director doesn't want to show that, then I'm fine with that. I'm an adult, I can figure my way around it. Our heroine in this goes along with her boyfriend for an easy life, just as the less psychotic members of the gang side with their leader. All that is, of course, until it's too late. And man, I love it. Uh, I do want to also mention another article that I remember reading and then I found for this. Uh, Alex Hess wrote it in The Guardian back in 2014. Um, he says... Wes Craven may have revived the slasher film with Scream, but he also demanded that self-reflexive in-jokes took precedence over proper pant-wetting horror. Eden Lake is very much in the business of pant-wetting horror. The discomfort begins early on, it wastes no time in spiralling hellishly out of control, and with its conclusion, it treats the viewer with steadfast sadism. It was, I realised, a far more effective formula than the wise-cracking fluff that I was used to. These psychopathic kids knocked Craven's pasty-faced plank caller out of the ballpark. Given the form that Eden Lake's threat takes, the obvious way to frame the film as being a Daily Mail reader's nightmare incarnate, the onslaught of the murderous feral kids being the logistical conclusion of the underclass dereliction of duty, Broken Britain is wielding a shard of broken glass. But maybe its real brilliance lies in the effect on the Guardian reading liberals like me and you. The instinctive fear provoked by its tracksuited executioners showing how the sort of reactionary conservatism that you define yourself against is actually within us all. Perhaps amongst the distress and the dismemberment, the really disturbing thing about this film is how it ripped me from the comfort of my latte-swilling high horse. Either that, or having to watch Fassbender being trapped, hunted, tortured, tied up and burned alive is simply the most profound, harrowing, cinematic experience I've ever had to endure. Probably a bit of both. So this is what I reckon, okay? However you see this film, whatever you think of its social commentary, I implore you to watch it if you haven't. You can't have an opinion if you haven't seen it. You're not Mary Whitehouse. 
and it is hard. I wasn't looking forward to revisiting this one myself, but it is an incredible work. I was blown away yet again. Now the music for this one is scored by David Julian and I must admit I'm not that big a fan even though he scored like Cabin in the Woods and The Descent and Insomnia these are all films I love but yeah I'm just not that big a fan and once again the music for Eden Lake it doesn't stir me in the way that I would hope it would it's doing the job it should do I guess but it just doesn't stand out in any way maybe what is going on on the screen is so strong that full score no score just doesn't matter Try and pick it out next time you see it. It's bizarre. It's almost pointless. So where can you find this film? Well, in the UK, you can stream this one on ITVX or Studio Canal. And in the USA, it is on CW, Hoopla, Voodoo, Tubi, Canopy, Redbox, Pluto, Plex and Freevee. <sighs> That's loads. As for podcasts, Spooko Podcast, that's Spooko, they covered Eden Lake back in November 2022, and also Unpleasant Movies Podcast, they had a stab at this one back in September 2019's, and that is my number two pick. It's called Eden Lake. Magnificent. What a film. What a film this is. And I mean that in the fullest of senses. If you want that shock, that awe from gore, that extreme, that bloody mayhem, then you've got it. Sure. But if you want a deeper, thought-provoking, less iconoclastic and maybe even a smidge sentimental film, this one delivers a smidge of that as well. You want character development? Tick. You want setup? You want payoff? Tick. If you're after a truly diversive film that you may end up hating or it may end up becoming one of your all-time favourite movies and I reckon if you're watching this it could go either way then this is it. This is Martyrs, my very favourite film from 2008. <laughs> Ah 
So the letterbox synopsis here is a rather simple one. A young woman's quest for revenge against the people who kidnapped and tortured her as a child leads her and her best friend, also a victim of child abuse, on a terrifying journey into a living hell of depravity. And, I mean, who else was I going to get to chat with me about this one, right? She is the queen of extreme horror, the founder and editor-in-chief of Ghouls magazine. She is also the co-host of our Bloody Obsession podcast. She's had her written word feature in the likes of Fangoria, Second Sight, 88 Films, Unearthed, etc., etc., etc. And the last time we spoke with Zoe, yeah, it's Zoe, uh, that was back in September 2022. And we covered Necromantic back then. Of course we did. And that was for the 1987 Big Hitter episode. So, what is there left to do now except to chat with her? So this is myself and Zoe Rose Smith, a.k.a. Zobo with a Shotgun. We're chatting all about martyrs and in all honesty, this was one of the dream chats that I had in mind when I thought of starting the show. Imagine that. That film with that guest, The Mind Boggles. Zoe, welcome back to A Year in Horror. Thank you for having me. I'm very excited to be back again. Yeah, it's been exactly a year, which is weird. Like, it doesn't feel it because I take so long in between putting these episodes out sometimes. It's like, oh, it only feels like it was a few months back. Uh, But no, it's been a year since we last chatted. That's strange. But I had to get you on for for one of these films. Now, you've just recently done uh, a little piece for Frontiers that came out. Yeah. um... (laughs) audio commentary with Kelly Gredner, my co-host from Our Bloody Obsession podcast. So it was fun. Very fun. Yeah. You were going to potentially choose that or this one. But the reason why I sort of like pushed you to martyrs was because you're the reason I watched it many years ago, listening to one of your shows. And it was like, right, do you know what? Stop being such a scaredy cat, Paul, and just listen to Zobo with a shotgun and... (laughs) fucking do it so I did and yeah it's become one of my all-time favorite films so yeah thank you so much for that well I'm very glad that I could uh push you on to martyrs because yeah I think I think a lot of people often steer clear of it because it's kind of uh it's kind of got that like notoriety about it hasn't it it's like oh my god if you watch martyrs your life is ruined forever but it's a damn good movie here's the thing right I mean straight away the first question is before I want to go into your history with it I just want to say like for me this feels once you've seen it it's actually the acceptable face it's a really nice first step for extreme horror like next week I've got to watch guinea pig 2 for the first time I, I'm like oh no what is this I've oh, seen no. the stills um <laughs> and then as I say tonight I'm watching Serbian film again for something else so this like I feel like martyrs is just a really because it's such a good film like a nice shoe in is am I wrong in thinking that no I think you're right because I think I think the problem with the not the problem but I think a lot of extreme films they're quite they're not amazing movies in themselves like if you like extreme you'll see the merits in them but if you maybe aren't that familiar with extreme films they kind of come across as like maybe they're not shot well the music's a bit weird effects can be a bit you know haphazard it's it can often be a little bit iffy to get into whereas yeah I think Martyrs is such a good starting point because 
I also say to a lot of people, like, if you're getting into extreme, you kind of need to know what you're getting into. It's not like there's an element of going, well, I'll start lightly and I'll work my way up. It's like, you may as well just know what's going to happen. And Martyrs is such a good film at doing that. And it also has, you know, the narrative, the meaning, which adds a lot to it. Whereas, you know, you mentioned they're going to watch Guinea Pig 2. Don't expect too much narrative or plot plot in there because okay. you're not going to get any of that whatsoever. But you you will you will get grossed out and you will have a disturbing time. But yeah, there's not really like a pondering thought that you can take from that movie to be honest with you <laughs> it, it, it may sit with me for a few days i think but maybe in a way unlike this film which i'm i still think about now why so it just like yeah i mean getting picked to you you are you will think about again but it'll be more <laughs> like flashbacks where you're like you know doing something you go oh no it's just come back to me whereas <laughs> martyrs is more like a a thought-provoking film, you know, where you go, okay, I can think about this. But yeah, Guinea Pig 2, there's there's no thought-provoking. There's just like, it's kind of like PTSD that happens. You just, you know, you get triggered and you go, oh God, I'm, I'm remembering it again. <laughs> Was it gradual for you? Like, did you build up to Martyrs or did you just like jump in? Um, I, you know what? I actually came to Martyrs quite late in the journey, which probably comes as a surprise because I feel like before Martyrs I I'd read a lot about it and I was like oh that does sound really extreme so I went back and watched a lot of I, I mean I watched like guinea pig 2 before I saw Martyrs I watched Tumbling Doll too. of Flesh, Necromantic, all of the like gross nasty stuff and I was like oh Martyrs is going to be worse um and then I finally plucked up the courage and I was like it's on its own level in terms of like the film it is but I was like yeah it's not quite tumbling doll of flesh level so I feel like maybe I went around it the right way and deserved myself even more before going to it and being like this is quite a, a, a breath of fresh air in the world of the things that I have seen that are just absolutely horrific. <laughs> I so remember just listening to your podcast I can't remember what episode it was but you mentioned it just offhand and it intrigued me and then I, I listened to you talk about it with someone and the, the whole thing intrigued me because it was this you presented it as this professional film it's not just shock value uh, and it is yeah. provoking it asked lots of different questions some feminist questions some questions about like the meaning of life itself and all this sort of stuff. And it like really intrigued me into like, right, okay, I've got to do it. Now, I reckon there are a lot of listeners to this show that are maybe exactly where I was before. So I'd rather at the beginning, at least, that we don't spoil it and then we'll chuck out a spoiler warning. Where do you think we could point people towards like these are key moments that don't really spoil too much is it possible to do that um because i want to talk about like what you love about this film so much like key scenes oh that's a tough question because because it's one of those films that kind of it changes so much in what it represents you know it's 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 kind of you see the projection of this movie and then you know probably about what like 
a quarter in, maybe a slightly, maybe a third in, it kind of flips what you're expecting right. to happen. Um, I think, you know, lots of the key scenes do come later in the film. Uh, but I think for me, kind of some of the the real key scenes are towards the beginning where we see, you know, this this child being tortured and we see her and we kind of expect that it's going to be a story about one person and them getting revenge and their kind of linear story. But obviously we have two characters here and it does slightly change in what were happening. Yeah, it's very hard to talk about Martyrs without going too much into the spoilers because they are, I think they're kind of like the key moments, are they? Like the spoiler yeah. twist plots within this movie. There's one thing that I could pull out, and it yeah. is with the the opening of the nice, well-to-do family. Um, mm. and it sets up like like sometimes you would expect a but I watch a lot of like big Hollywood budget sort of horrors and it's that sort of family set up before a demonic possession will come in or something like that or even if you want to go into like the the world of rom-coms and stuff like it's a it's a setup of a family dynamic there's a little bit of bickering but generally it seems like really nice tight-knit and then you get the knock at the door um <laughs> and holy shit the way this film kicks off with a shotgun blast it's insane it's incredible i didn't expect it the first time watching it again this week again i knew it was coming i you still don't expect it to come like that and i think everything after that is a spoiler but i want to take your mind back to like when you were initially first watching this thing and going to friends you need to see this had you seen that sort of thing before like that sort of gentle setup that nice thing and then such an extreme bosh no i hadn't because I, I feel like so many films they take their time to get into this really visceral violence that they have and especially you know with certain extreme films they'll take a little bit of time to pace it out to kind of set the scene you know you know something awful is going to happen but you're waiting, you get to know the characters, you know, I mean, Martyrs, I would say, it does even start with, you know, the starting's quite horrific, you know, we see a child, yeah. we see um, Lucy running down the street covered in blood as a child just having escaped being tortured, so we're already kind of in that realm of, oh shit, like, this is this ain't good. No one's having a good time here, but you're right. Then you go into, and I, and I agree. I love that scene because you have the two children of this, you know, like middle-class, nice, rich kind of family and they're running. And it looks like a scene where they're attacking each other. And that's what you're expecting. You're like, yeah. Oh, right. We're straight into it. And then they're giggling, laughing, playing. Then they're just at breakfast, nice little, you know, French family chilling. And like you said, and then just, bam shotgun and it's just from that point it's just carnage the whole film and yeah the first time I saw it I, I had never seen anything that kind of I felt like I'd been hit by that shotgun like you feel it don't you you're like yeah it, it hit me at the same time there and then it just just goes into sheer debauchery from there it's, <laughs> it's, it's, it just doesn't stop 
<laughs> it really does. Like, and it, it, the thing is, it's so exciting because there's not a lot of other films set up in that way. Even with all these years to come back to, you get the odd one that does flip halfway through and then uh, it doesn't feel derivative. But most of the time when it happens, they do. You can feel this uh, film's influence going forward in horror cinema. It, it's mad when, like, for instance, you watch Barbarian and you just think, well, that little flip there, We've seen that before and we've seen it right here, uh, you know, and I, I don't know. It excites me just to see the birth of this thing. I'm, I'm I, Again, I'm so ecstatically happy that you like sort of <laughs> give me that slap around the face and say, get over <laughs> yourself, boy. Uh, right. OK, let's get into spoilers. So, yeah, just so you know, audience, that we're ruining it now. OK, so let's go into some key moments for you what you th you think is important that people that are watching this for the first time they have seen it they're coming back what should they pull out from this film i think some of the really key points for me are around trauma um i really love in martyrs the representation of Lucy's trauma as a manifestation um, within the character of this, this woman that, that constantly torments her and haunts her. I think in horror we've seen, and probably more so in recent years, um, we've seen so many different representations of trauma and they're all really affecting, really incredible in the way that they approach it. But I feel like with Martyrs, it shows it in a way that feels just so real, you know, to be tor tormented by this haunting, disturbing figure that, you know, from the very beginning, we see um, that Lucy is attacked by this woman um, and actually it's her self-harming herself because of trauma, because of the PTSD she's experienced. And I love that throughout the film, this kind of, you know, transfiguration of of her trauma comes to life constantly in the moments when she's really like fighting those demons trying to battle it um and I love those scenes where you know she's killed the entire family and she's screaming at the woman but I've killed them I've done what you've asked yeah. almost you know kind of saying that we would expect that when we committed revenge that the trauma would leave you know if you go and get revenge that trauma leaves you but in martyrs that doesn't happen she's still there because she's not there because of the family she's there because it is always going to be a part of Lucy and her trauma and I and I just love those scenes where you see Lucy kind of fighting against the woman and then you see it from Anna's point of view in in the hallway and she's just you know cutting her own wrist she's slicing her own back up and I think for me that's kind of like you know trauma is a manifestation in us and it comes out in ways like self-harm and I find it such it's distressing and it's really harrowing but like a really kind of powerful way to show that in a very kind of like horrific and a very horror-esque way as well trauma isn't something that you can clear up with a you know one two-step revenge executed done yeah it's still yeah. going to be there they've cleared the physical problem but not that internal struggle um exactly. and what was crazy the first time i remember is that i didn't know whether it was in her head or not not at first they yeah. play it so cleverly um and until they do do that reveal, 
Like I'm just like, oh my word, just call for your friend. Come on, <laughs> just you can get out of this. Of course, no, she can't. Yeah, man, she's trapped. And like that's such a again, like there's not that's not even halfway through the film at this point. And we're dealing no, with no. all these complex issues. It's in, it's insane. What a masterful film. Yeah. So then she finds a secret door. So Anna will find this secret door. So after that moment, yeah, I mean, there's so many key scenes, but I think one of the key scenes again from there is probably where Anna finds the one of these, I want to say survivor, but I'm not sure she's quite surviving right, down yeah. there. She's, she's not having a great time at all. She finds this woman that is... Actually, kind of just going back before that, she goes through the corridor. Uh, so she climbs down the ladder and she finds this like bunker, um, which clearly is for some kind of experimentation. She's not quite sure. There's showers, there's outfits, you know, it's all very bizarre. And she the the camera span pans across the wall, which has these images which show women in different states of this enlightenment as they call it in martyrs you know this stage of enlightenment and one's beheaded another is starved to death some of them have their arms cut off and they have this look on their face and in that scene you're kind of thinking you're like what the hell is this like those images are so disturbing that in a way I find the images maybe more disturbing than some of the rest of the film because it's just like can you imagine you've just gone through everything you've gone through poor Anna she's not having a good time and then she goes down here you're already going well what's this secret bunker and then you see these images on the wall and then of course she comes across this woman that is in a state of you know she's she's got the metal across her eyes she's obviously sensory deprived she's I mean like incredibly skinny you know malnutrition cuts all over her and it kind of just shows like how I think the posters on the wall and seeing the woman like personified after seeing those images on the wall just shows that who the people that are doing this are so barbaric and inhumane that they have no no humanity about them when it comes to like cruelness and it just I don't know that that scene, that like whole kind of sequence gives me shivers so much. It's just, it's horrible. It's so sad as well. It, I wonder if those pictures are real or fabricated or a mixture. Yeah, I think they're real. I think that's <laughs> that. like when I look at them, I'm like, they look like, I mean, I really hope they're not, but I know some of these films, they like to include stuff that you're like, I'm just going to pretend that is Photoshop for sure. <laughs> well, even at the very beginning of the film, that scene you mentioned where um, uh, little Lucy, isn't it, like running towards yeah. the camera, that mirrors Hiroshima for me. And like, if that's not bad enough, then yeah. as you say, you've got all these, all these pictures. And even in the flip book a bit later on, like she's just going through them more of them there's more it's like it's, yeah it's hard work yeah it's incredibly tough to watch that because I think I think the great thing about martyrs is you can really be very empathetic towards Anna and really understand like the plight she's been through and you know she's obviously a character that 
is so sensitive to other people and she's so caring that she just wants to help you know we see that with her relationship with Lucy regardless of how much trauma and pain Lucy has caused her Anna is constantly you know there to help her and I think when she finds that woman and she takes her upstairs and she's trying to look after her. And I think at one point she says something along the lines of, I can't look after you or I can't help you. And you can tell she feels so much pain because she is a character that naturally, instinctively wants to look after these people with trauma, with pain, with suffering, which makes her such a, such a powerful character in kind of like the horror sphere. Which will bring us to the one of the reasons why I think this film is labeled extreme if, mm. if that if everything we haven't talked about is enough we've got a period of around 10 minutes where she's brutalized non-stop day after day uh, and it's it in a way it drags but it's meant to because yeah. it's showing you what what she's having to go through difficult to say this but can you justify that? as something that we watch as entertainment do you agree that this is the the reason why this film gets this rap i mean that's always a question that comes up with the extreme is kind of like justifying the violence that you see mm -hmm. in these films because you know it's like as as a as a watcher should we find entertainment in those scenes but i think what a lot of, I mean, not not all of them. So some of them are very bad at, at getting the balance right. I think Martyrs gets the balance right in that you are, you're not entertained. I mean, I've never met anyone that's gone, oh yeah, really enjoyed watching that bit. Like everyone watches it and it feels like you're being tortured by having to watch her. And I think that's the beauty of Martyrs is that, where we feel every blow she gets we feel every pain we're there you know feeling what she's feeling and I think in order for us to truly understand what she's going through you have to sit through those moments I think I often refer back to it um kind of with like rape revenge films I'm like it's very hard for me to identify with the character unless I see the full extent of what they've been through and I can go fuck that's horrible and I think you know those scenes where we watch her yeah they it, like you said it drags on a bit and you're kind of going oh have we got to watch this anymore but that's the point like if it was shorter and sweeter perhaps we wouldn't really feel disturbed by it but you know like for me those those scenes where she's being kind of brutalized you know I've, I've watched lots of extremes where they're getting their arms and legs cut off but this because she's just being beaten and beaten and hit and hit and hit you do just go again it's like the shotgun you feel every single blow she's going through so it really kind of puts you in the journey alongside her which I think is a tough thing to do without it thing feeling gratuitous but I don't know about you but I feel like it doesn't feel gratuitous it feels to me like without that the film doesn't work you, yeah. you need that um for the conclusion to hit so hard um uh, well literally uh <laughs> and it and it does like the yeah. I'll not like the first time I saw this uh I, I normally watch a few films a day and that was my first of that day and I didn't watch anything else. Couldn't. You can't watch something else after that no. reveal. <laughs> I, I feel like we should talk about it. We've said spoilers. 
stupid question, but what do you think she sees? Oh, this, honestly, <laughs> this question drives me insane. So, I know. On, isn't it just like the most frustrating? Like, it's amazing and that's why it's so good, but it's like the most frustrating thing in the world and actually I rewatched um so I rewatched this on Friday night in the bath with candles because you know that's like self-care for me isn't it such a weird one I love it right yeah my friends were like okay you do you babe I was (laughs) like yeah I'm having a good time um I tried to like turn up the sound and, and she kind of whispers and I'm yet to maybe like try and find someone that can like zone in on it I have a friend that's French and I might be I might try and show him just that scene and be like can you help me figure this out lip read I in a way I want to believe that she says there's like something after death right because they're in this state of um seeing you know viewing as as kind of like the the end titles suggest like seeing something more however I'm almost because it's so bleak because the film kind of is bleak and has this like oh well you know is it worth it I'm in the mind that she says there's nothing and that it like that not there is nothing after and that is why kind of Mademoiselle just goes, well, I'm going to shoot myself because all of this we've done, all of this pain, this suffering, this cruelty, this trauma was for nothing. And to me, that would be bleaker and more disturbing than if she went, oh, yeah, there is a God, there is enlightenment. But I don't know what you think, she says. I much agree with you. I would like to have at least had one or two words that you know, we would know what she said and we could figure that out ourselves. But the fact we get nothing, zero, it leaves this completely to our imagination, which is the beauty of filmmaking. I love it. But at the same yeah. time, I just think she has said nothing. I can't see anything else that would draw her to 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 suicide in such a way, such a final and brutal end of it. Like, what's the point? my whole life's work in that selfish way rather than all the pain I've inflicted on everyone else just as a personal thing for her everything she's lived for every moment of her life wasted oh that that might do it yeah I feel like that would be that to me is is the right ending for martyrs that it's like it's all for nothing you know all of this awfulness and like you said mademoiselle you know her life's work because she's such a proud woman you know you can tell that this is like when she's flipping through that book she's like look at their eyes you know she's so into it and so for someone to like reach martyrdom and reach this kind of like status of enlightenment and then turn around go yeah babe there's there's really nothing is like it's the biggest like ego death for her you know it's like a shock to her ego and she was like well fuck it then I'll just shoot myself in the head and I'm like you know in one way I'm like good because she dies but in the other way you're like she gets an easy route out again for her that's like her you know pulling the trigger on things and just going well you know I can just get out of this whereas you've got you know poor Anna there flayed in a state of like yeah there's nothing and I'm like pure suffering it's just 
it's just horrible. It's just horrible, but also amazing. <laughs> yeah, well, that's the thing. Like, I can't even imagine we would be able to scratch the surface in like a 40 minute conversation or whatever. I, I don't expect no. to. I just wanted to pull out some of your favorite bits because I know what this film means to you. Yeah. And I can't wait until you get to do the commentary on on uh, a nice snazzy Blu-ray of it. So, yeah. Um, if, if Watch the space. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, couple more things before we go. Now, I know this is one of your very favourite films, and again, it is for me, but there is something that doesn't work for me in a major way, which would ruin the film completely anyway. Does anything not work for you? Um, That's a good question, because, you know, the first, first couple of times I watched it, I didn't immediately love Martyrs. There was something kind of missing for me, and I think it was the piece around Lucy killing herself. I personally, I didn't, I didn't get it. And on the first couple of watches, I was like, but why would she do that? You know, we've gone so far. Yes, she's got her trauma. And that, it, I think it more frustrated me and made me annoyed. Um, but on a couple of rewatches, I feel like because I got more into like, I guess, looking at and dissecting her trauma, I started to understand it with the self-harm, et cetera. Um, so long rambling answer to basically say, no, not much doesn't work for me. I actually, I th I think it's a near perfect film. Uh, yeah, pretty, pretty much a perfect film for me. I want to put this to you. Oh. <laughs> Here we go. Uh, I, the first time I watched it, I was getting frustrated around just after that period because there are so many opportunities for Anna to leave. So many. She even makes phone calls. Like I know she doesn't understand the, the whole of the situation at that point, but there has been a rather large crime taking place here. There has been a ridiculous amount of blood let here. Um, <laughs> surely you would get out. You wouldn't be hanging around for so long. Uh, and there's ample opportunities for her to do so. And it's ever so crushing in my very soul when they turn up. It kills me. It's like so many opportunities. You didn't take one of them. What do you say to that? I have to agree. You know, when she goes down to the, like when she crawls down the bed, when she opens the door and she starts crawling down, I'm like, babe, why are you doing that? Like, why would you go? Like, you see, you know, a crawl hole and there's a deep, dark uh, ladder down it. It's like, no, 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 that's like number one don't. But I actually, and and I'm glad you mentioned that because that was one of the things that annoyed me actually on the first couple of watches. Right. However, now how I read it is kind of that Anna is so used to being put in danger by someone else and being sacrificing herself her needs her safety because she's trying to protect others and take on their trauma that I think she's so used to doing that with Lucy as a character through a place of love and care that she's almost kind of surpassed that thought of going oh no what about my safety because she's just thinking what if there's hey. others she's in that kind of like cycle of only thinking about other people, not her own safety immediately. I mean, when she's trying to fix the the poor woman that's been down there, it's like, get a move on. 
like fix her in the woods. <laughs> don't run a bath. Like, come on, we ain't got time to be running nice baths in the roll top bathtub. <laughs> I mean, it is a nice bath. Let's face it. It is a nice bath. I know. <laughs> I know. <laughs> uh, wow. Okay. Um, the point of this episode is to to get someone that hasn't seen it to watch it. And even as a, if there's one or two of you out there, um, well done. I'm glad you got through it. Um, but. <laughs> It's not going to end there because I'm going to ask you, Zoe, for one more thing. If you're going to double bill this film, what are you going to force force these poor innocents to watch after Martyrs? Oh, that's a great question because actually I, I asked the other day. So I was going to double bill it with something in my, you know, Friday evening self-care night. Um, wow. I'm also an, an old lady and it finished at half nine. I was like, it's bedtime for me. Thank you. Fair, um, fair. So I didn't double bill it i mean i would i would typically stick down the new french extremity route because i just think they're so much not products of their time but they're really as as gory and violent and you know nihilistic as they are they're really beautiful films that really i think if you look deeper than kind of this surface level of violence that you see kind of the story that they're telling um obvious kind of go-to would naturally be frontiers because i think that's also an amazing film that has a deeper meaning however i'm not going to suggest that because i think that it's a bit too obvious and i think also it's it's maybe a bit nuanced in some of the things that portrays maybe a little bit on the nose for this um so the other film that I would suggest kind of chasing it up with which is maybe a little bit lighter is I would go for um I would go for uh In My Skin uh which is also known as Dans Ma Pue in French and it is a it's really tough to watch um, but it's a for anyone that hasn't seen it, it's about a young woman, Esther, who she has an accident at a party, hurts her leg, gets cut and she falls into this obsession with kind of cutting herself, um, eating pieces of her own skin and kind of spirals into a, a world of her own trauma and pain. And she inflicts all this suffering on herself but finds a form of pleasure out of it and it's just it's such a disturbing film but again when I watch it I get like there's just this really overwhelming sense that you can tell that the narrative and, and the storytelling goes so much deeper and yet you're still kind of guessing again you know very similar to Masters you're still kind of guessing throughout the film like why is this happening and what does it mean? And I just think like, it's not easy to watch again, but it's, it's amazing. Like it's an amazing film. So I'm, I'm going to suggest that as a double bill, but like, you know, people don't go into either of these lightly, like prepare some self-care for later, like aftercare kind of thing. I've I've not seen this film. All right. I don't know it at all. No, I'm excited. (gasps) Oh my God. It's it's honestly it's amazing and it's also slightly I would say it's probably more one of the more underrated new French extremity films um not sure why like I think it's really incredible and and the actress that plays the main character she's also the director as well um so it's like a very like self-reflective 
film i believe about like Please. body identity and yeah it's just honestly it's like i cannot recommend that film enough Zoe, thank you so much for coming on thank you for having me it's been amazing I'm going to keep it like that. Uh, they score this thing. I know nothing about them except they're a French electronic duo. Uh, they sometimes infuse guitar work into their noise. And what they bring to Martyrs is exactly what you would think a film like this deserves. It is tense. It's expertly crafted to help this film on its way to be considered this serious and legit work. And what I mean by that is that before watching this thing, many myself included, have heard that this was an exploitative torture porn French extreme horror film, which I guess it totally is, but it also totally isn't either. But having this soundtrack sound so professional and so suited to the subject matter, it helps solidify this thing as an unmistakable work of art. I have got issues with it. I'm not too keen on the briefness of all the songs here. It makes for an uneven listen when it's away from the film at points, like when the track called Crisis pops up with its thumping drums. But really, that is my only issue. This thing is pretty rad. So where can you find Martyrs to watch? Well, oddly, in the UK, you can find it on ITVX. Yeah, I know, ITV. Uh, and in the USA, try out Tubi or Pluto, Voodoo, or indeed Plex. As for podcasts, there is a podcast called Weird underscore Signal, W-Y-R-D. Uh, they did a massive two hours and 40 minute episode breaking this thing down. I found it on Spotify. Uh, you may well do too. And that's it really. Two hours 40 is a good chunk of Marta's time in your life. Uh, it's my favourite film from 2008, this one. It is Martyrs. Oi, oi, Savaloi, hello, I'm back. Right, okay. Uh, let's choose the year that we're going to be dealing with next month. Okay, I've got my bag and I'm going to stick my hand in the bag. I'm going to pull out whatever year it is. I'm hoping for a really recent one. I'm hoping for like something from the last three or four years. Um, 2023 and 2022 actually aren't in there yet. Um, obviously, 2023 hasn't been done. We're not finished yet. But it's too soon for 2022. So, yeah, up to 2021. Let's go for 2020, 2021. That's what I want. Okay, let's do it. I'm, I'm, I'm putting it to the mic so you can hear me ruffle through. I've pulled one out. I'm opening it up. That's not what I wanted. It's 1963, but I do know a film straight away. I was very disappointed last month when I did not have a film to hand for 2008. I couldn't think of one. Uh, but here, 1963, Black Sabbath. 
that's Mario Bava. Love that film. Uh, there we go. <laughs> you can't beat me twice in a row. It's not going to happen. Black Sabbath, 1963. Is that going to be my number one? Don't know. I don't know any others. So, yeah, okay. Uh, if you want to listen to any of the Year in Horror jingles uh, just separated from this podcast, then I, you're weird. Uh, but they're there. A year in horror dot bandcamp, uh, dot com. <laughs> I'm so shit at this. Uh, it's all there. Feel free to contact the podcast at a year in horror at gmail.com. Uh, you can also follow me at Walla Not Weller on Letterboxd and Instagram, or you can hit me up on Not Weller Pod on Twitter. Also, on Letterboxd, I've listed all the years that we've tackled so far. I've attached all the films to the proper positions. And don't forget the Patreon channel. Please don't forget it. It's uh, patreon.com forward slash a year in horror. If you've really enjoyed this episode or you enjoy what I do on the, the podcasting side of things, then uh, a £3 tier is there just to help us out. You don't get anything for it, but up it to a £4 pounds that's the tier where you're going to be getting that extra content the more bang for your buck sort of thing all those contributions that you make no matter what it is i'll be putting that straight back into making this regular original and specialist content for you but as well as that you get that warm fuzzy glow for helping out the show uh, i'm really sorry my voice is annoying my wife says my voice is annoying so i guess like why would she lie to me Anyway, that's Patreon. <laughs> I've sold that. Patreon.com, a year in horror. Uh, that's that. Uh, yeah, great big thanks also, I guess, to my wife, Claire Waller. She's the one that does all the Photoshop posters for each episode and also the sci-fi corner jingle and the spooky jingle. She did that. She's a good egg, really. Um, one Trick Pony, they designed that Ace logo and the Canada design for the thumbnails. Max Newton, Lucy Foster, still broken up, still with other partners. They'll get back together one day. I'm sure they will. They'll get back together. But until then, thank you, regular guests, Perrin Hayish, Zoe Rose Smith, Mark Morrison, Lono. For your information also, Lono and myself are beginning a new offshoot on Patreon next year called Oh No, Lono. Uh, I'm pretty excited about that. Special guests this month were Ariel Powers Schaub. We've got Neil Marshall. We've got Richard Brake as well. I mean, that's cool, right? But most of all, a massive thanks to you lot for listening to this right until the very end. I'm going to see you next month for a podcast that will feature all the greatest horror films from 1963. Everything that year had to offer. It's going to be another silly and scandalous soup of scary headed straight to your stomach. Till then. Peace!